Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to Casual for Koa. I'm Dave Using, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You're listening to Casual for Koa here on the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel. I'm Dave. Let's get this thing started. So today we're going to talk about all the X-Men comics that came out today, including X-Deaths of Wolverine number 1, Marauder's Annual number 1, X-Men number 7, and Black Panther number 3. Stealth X-Men book outside of the X-Office in Black Panther, which will be interesting to talk about. Thanks to those of you who are joining here live. Much appreciated. Get in your questions and thoughts here in the comments as I go. Let me know anything if you're having issues with audio or video. I want to hear it so I can potentially make a correction. But get in your questions. The Super Chat is open and available if you want to get in questions that I will definitely prioritize. Otherwise, let's get to it okay we'll start with the big one we'll start with x deaths of wolverine number one i'm seeing here in the chat people saying they loved it this was an amazing week for x books i have to agree real good week real good week for x-men fans x deaths of wolverine turned the ship around uh, definitely a huge huge turn for this event a much much needed great second issue in what is going to be a 10 issue weekly alternating between lives and deaths wolverine wolverine event uh this issue rocked okay i did a full crack in krakoa on it that is up on the channel you can see it there for some of my theories which we'll probably talk about a little bit today as well as just a breakdown of what happened and frankly just my own hype i mean I, I, here's the thing is like coming out of x lives of wolverine which i was on this casual krakoa last week this time uh pretty down on right i was fairly apathetic I, and more than anything i was probably frustrated right that that's kind of the issue we got um, you know, kind of a lot of scene setting, not a lot of really selling why this was the moment, why this needed to be the exchange and the stretch between Inferno and Destiny of X. Death of Wolverine does that, okay? It does that with the plume. Uh, it tells you exactly what it needs to be and where this event is going um, while introducing some mystery and some things that are very exciting. Uh, that I, but, I, but, you know, here's the thing is like knowing that, knowing it needed to do that, I woke up today very excited. You know, not quite Christmas morning excited. You know, not quite New Hickman Inferno issue excited. Definitely not House of X and Powers of Ten excited. But I woke up excited. I really wanted to see what was going to happen. If it was going to deliver. And I was optimistic that it could. Um, and it did. And it did. Benjamin Percy, Federico um, Vincentini. Uh, they, they did it. They crushed it. And and so we're going to talk about X-Death Wolverine. How it did that. How it was, it was so effective. Uh, and, and then definitely those of you in the chat, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear what did you like, what didn't you like, what questions do you have, those sorts of things. And we can talk about them as we go. All right. So people are strolling in. This is great. Let's get to it with Excess of Wolverine number one. Okay. So the cover for this issue is Wolverine in, you know, phalanx circuitry. Okay. Uh, it's a really cool cover. And it teases sort of this idea that this issue and this event might connect back to powers of 10, which is where we see the phalanx, which is where we see things like dominions, these very high-minded sci-fi concepts that Hickman just sort of tosses out there and have not been fulfilled in any meaningful way since, that cover indicates that like, okay, maybe where this is where this thing's going. And then what the issue does, better than anything, is it says, uh, yeah, this is, this is the big stuff. This is the big picture X-Men narrative stuff of a follow-up to Inferno number four. Okay, um, uh, the the deaths of Wolverine number one is a very direct follow up to Inferno number four. I saw someone, uh, Luca Nieto, who's a writer for uh, Comic Book Herald, said, you know, this could have been Inferno number five. 
Um, it, it's very much picking up those pieces. Anyone who felt that Inferno number four was somewhat anticlimactic in some ways, well, it continues right here in such a way that I actually find that less bothersome. Um, so again, we're going to talk about these comics that came out today. This is a spoiler-filled conversation. Uh, the assumption is that you will have read them or or do not care uh, for them to be spoiled. And uh, spoiled, <laughs> spoiler, not spoiled. And uh, we're going to talk about them in detail. Okay, so that's where that's where we're going with X deaths here. Uh, let's let's do it. All right, X deaths Wolverine number one. Was it good? Yes, it was very good. What did it focus on? It focused on Moira. It focused on Moira X. Okay, at the end of Inferno, we see her escape. She is basically given a chance by Doug, Team Doug Ramsey, Warlock, Bay the Blood Moon, um, and Krakoa. They give her a chance to run from Mystique and Destiny, who were going to kill her. Right? They've removed Moira's power. They said they removed her mutant ability using Forge's classic cure gun, and they said, uh, you know, okay, now we're going to kill you. Right? Now that we've explained. Our, our, you know, our reasoning, like any good supervillain, um, now that you're not a mutant who can reset the timeline, which again, like, we don't, we don't know for sure that when Moira dies, her mutant power reincarnates her in a new lifeline with the memory of what had happened previously. But what we don't know is what happens to the lifeline that she was in. Does it everything go white and it all fades away? Or does, do those people continue existing? And the reason I bring that up is... That could matter here with the big reveal we have in X-Deaths of Wolverine, um, which we're going to get to in some detail, but let's just throw it out there. We have a secret mystery Wolverine who pops up out of a Krakoan no-placey egg in the middle of the island, and there's this phalanxy. I'm calling him Faye Logan. Um, I tried to do it with the X, Faye Loganix. Uh, that's too hard. That's too hard. But we're going to go Faye Logan, pops up out of this egg, and he's on a mission, but where does he come from, okay? And one theory, certainly, that I've seen bandied about, which is predictable here, is this Logan could be from one of Moira's lifelines, if the lifelines continue. That is very much in play, especially if we consider um, lifeline number six in Moira's lives, okay? One of the big reveals in Powers of Ten, I think it's Powers of Ten number six, the final issue, is that in, in that six lifeline, Moira makes it thousands of years, into the future. She does this with infusions of Wolverine's blood. Wolverine and, and Moira are kept like in a cage, basically, by Homo Novisima. And uh, that Wolverine could potentially have carried on. That's a Wolverine who was literally in the thralls of the Phalanx. So that can make sense. That can make sense. That'd be very, very cool to connect the dots those ways. But we don't yet know. We have no confirmation if lifeline crossover is possible. Shouts to Rasputin and Zorn. Just waiting, just waiting for their moment. It feels very possible. It feels very possible. I have a theory that I actually think is more likely than that one, um, based on what happened in Inferno and what we just saw. But nonetheless, that one is an option, and it's got it's got potential, and I'm excited about it as well, okay? But so we don't actually know what happens when Moira dies. I mean, there's an implication, and it's a total fake-out in Inferno number 4. When Mystique and Destiny shoot Moira with the cure gun, the comic itself goes white. The comic itself goes white like the lifeline's about to reset, but we don't have any idea because that was a fake-out if that was supposed to be like, well, this is what it's like from Moira's perspective, if that was going to be just like, um, like, hey, this is this is what uh, it's going to be for everyone, that everything just goes white, um, which reminds me of like House M, right? That's what happens with WandaVision, or with with, uh, with Scarlet Witch, with Wanda, when she resets the universe there in that um, Brian Michael Bendis New Avengers. So we don't know. We don't know for sure, but regardless, Moira has been cured. She no longer has her mutant ability. So when she dies, she dies, right? It's very rocky, you know? If she dies, she dies. 
and uh, and she's on the run, and she's on the run from everything at this point. Okay, she's on the run from Mystique and Destiny, who are just. It's not like they're like, all right, we'll give you a thirty second head start. They're like, no, we're immediately going to come kill you. <laughs> like, there's no bones about it. They are definitely making a play. Um, Myra is also on the run in this issue from the CIA who, uh, you know, in the X-Desk, they're who we've seen in the pages of Marauders and we've seen in the pages of X-Force. If you've been reading Dawn of X and, uh, and, 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 um, geez, what's the person one? X-Force, you know, and they see her and they're like, Hey, she's identifying as a mutant, which that's a little curious, right? That she would still identify as a mutant on their technology. What's that about? Um, and, and also like, oh, also she was reported dead, <laughs> you know, years and years and years ago. That's a mystery that they want to go explore. Um, so they're trying to capture her. And then to top it all off, and I, I would argue this is almost too much. <laughs> I would argue this is almost too much. Moira suddenly contracts a bad case of cancer. Um, this was complicated to me. If there's anyone in the chat who feels like they understand what is happening here better than I am able to, I am open to it. Because Moira was in her no place on Krakoa, showed no signs of illness, but then the second she gets cured and uh, and released into the wild suddenly she's coughing up blood. Like, that seems timing-wise, like, very coincidental, unless somehow her mutant hood, her mutant ability was keeping the cancer at bay, uh, which isn't a thing that we know about her powers, but, like, okay, like, this is this is comics, I could potentially accept that. Um, you know, one thing I tossed out is, like, well, she'd been living in a Krakoan no place. Um, she'd been living in, like, a literal Krakoan tumor itself, so could that have something to do with now she's got some sort of radioactivity or whatever side effect of of living in that space for a long time i don't know we don't know yet um but you know she's got she's got uh cancer and uh and that's killing her now from the inside so moira's getting it from every possible angle and finally you know with all of this horrible stuff happening to her uh, if you're a moira fan she's now like, we're now getting her story. We're now getting Mara's perspective. We're now getting um, some information about her. I mean, I think one of the... I could still bemoan the fact that it's only now that we're getting to Mara when she's no longer in control, when she no longer seems to have a plan. Um, but that would be beside the point, frankly, which is that Extensive Wolverine is really good. And the fact that it is so focused on Mara is excellent. Uh, it's got a little, a little Trial of Magneto vibes. You know, it's got a little Trial of Magneto vibes in the sense of, okay, we launched a big event with named after one of our most famous characters, but they're barely in it, and it's actually a Moira event, which is like, which is weird. I don't actually really levy that complaint against this at this point, because I love the way Wolverine, or this Fae Logan, is used here um, as like a, you know, a, a mystery, as a buildup. Of it, like you know, it's gonna be a Wolverine the whole time. You know, you see the claws, you see the figure. There's no real secret in the build to displaying this Logan, uh, but nonetheless, he's not in it a lot. You know, whereas X Lives of Wolverine was here's Wolverine's narration, here's Percy writing Wolverine's voice, here's the history of this character. This is pure like what is happening in Krakoa right now, literally moments after Inferno number four. Um, and that is kind of cool. That that I'm definitely here for. Now, definitely I am a fan of X-Men comics that are building the world and are pushing the ball forward and are connected to the big picture narrative. For sure I'm a fan of that. But one thing I said in the in the Kraken Krakoa video that I want to double up on here is that's not the only thing I'm looking for 
in X Deaths of Wolverine. Like, that alone is not the reason I like it. Um, is just that, like, oh, good, it's connected, and we're actually getting some Moira story out of Inferno. That part alone is not that significant to me. What's bigger to me, and I kind of, you know, distilled this to two things in the video, and I feel like this holds true for, frankly, any of the X-Men comics that are coming out. Like, one, I want it to feel era-specific. I want it to feel specific to the Krakoa era of X-Men as defined in House of X and Powers of Ten, because otherwise, it just feels like, another X-Men comic. You know, I want it to feel like it's a part of this moment in significant ways. Now, that's a fairly difficult thing to do because with anything, it's like, well, if you want to put the, the tag on it that like, oh, it could only have happened in the Krakoa era, that's almost never true. Like that, that is super rare where that's the case, frankly, because like mutants have islands like, you know, like I have comics, like they just pop up island nations all the time. It's what they do. Um, so there's a lot of situations and it's in events and things like, for example, on X-Men number seven today, which is really good. Doug and LaRaz are, are turning a corner here. Maybe we talk about that a little bit, but, um, it, you know, it's a X-Men, uh, versus a bunch of, you know, high evolutionary style hybrid animals, uh, that want to beat them up and, and take out Cyclops. Um, they're doing it in order to out some information about Cyclops. Like purely, if you're looking big picture storyline, yes, that storyline could have happened in other eras, but it feels Krakoa specific because it is so heavily tied to trying to keep the resurrection protocols under wraps with this X-Men team being the public facing superhero team of this island nation. Um, with Cyclops literally having a resurrection scene with Emma Frost, right? There are enough details and enough specifics where it feels like it's of a piece with the era. That's super important to me, okay? And Excess Wolverine pulls that off, again, because it's literally about, here's what comes next for Krakoa. It does the most obvious way to do it, which is good. I enjoyed it. The second thing for me that I'm really needing out of these comics, and, and the ones that came out today generally do quite well, is a little bit of mystery and a little bit of big idea. Um, you know, especially for an event comic. I think this this goes tenfold, okay? Which, again, X Lives and X Deaths is an event comic. There's a lot of people who uh, love to um, extol the virtues of patience <laughs> when it comes to X-Men comics not being very good. Like uh, like like we're children, you know, wait, <laughs> not waiting for our treats. And it's like, this is an event comic. It needs to sell itself. It needs to be big and grandiose. We don't need to sit through <laughs> relatively mundane, boring things to get to the good bits. That's not how this is going to or should work, and that is asking um, audiences to just put their gratification on hold, right? And yes, you build to big moments in stories. I understand that, okay? Um, but you got to put some of your chips on the table and move things forward in ways that are somewhat mysterious, so there's a reason to get invested, and are full of, like, okay, at least some sort of interesting idea that we can grasp onto and talk about. Uh, and Addicts De Deaths of Wolverine does this. It does, it does all of these things, and it does them effectively. Um, and even X-Men number seven, you know, I think, is an issue where on a smaller scale, it does this stuff. Uh, it does this stuff well. I haven't read Marauder's Annual number one. I got to throw out there. Um, I have uh, caught up very, I skimmed it very briefly just in terms of like maybe some some big picture stuff. Uh, but I, I need to read it. I'm excited to read it. I'm looking forward to the Steve Orlando era of Marauders. But maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Okay. So, all right. Back to X-Deaths of Wolverine. Um, again, so it's a murder-focused issue. It's all about her going on the run. She's doing kind of the born identity thing. You know, she's been burned. She has to escape. Um, she dyes her hair blonde, which that never fails. She doesn't effectively cover up her literal techno-organic arm, <laughs> which feels like a giveaway, if you ask me personally. Uh, but, you know, hey, it, it, 
she gets caught, uh, unsurprisingly. And uh, but she's still she's still on the run at the end of this. The bigger reveal, the bigger piece of the mystery is this mystery Wolverine. Where is this mystery Wolverine coming from? Um, Jean and Professor are literally standing over the body of the Wolverine that they know, right? They're standing over the body of the Wolverine that they know, having sent him back in time, uh, at least, you know, psychically, to go on these rescue missions. And all of a sudden, a new Wolverine pops up, slashes Black Tom Cassidy, pour one out for Black Tom, and uh, and now we got a phalanx. We got Faye Logan running around. Um, I threw out in my video, <clears throat> I talk about the Age of Ultron paradox and time-traveling Wolverines there. Um, that seems real unlikely, <laughs> but I had to talk about it because that one's always a, a pretty wild uh, Marvel event continuity bit of just mind buggery. And um, it, it's worth talking about, even if it's not going to happen. Uh, if you haven't read Age of Ultron, don't worry. You don't need to. But in this decade-ago event, essentially, there are... And I'm not even going to... I explained in Kraken Krakow, so I'm not going to do it again here. But basically, there are two Wolverines that both travel to the same point in time. And one of them makes an agreement to be like, okay, I should be the one that dies. So they, this Wolverine says he kills the other one, but we never see a body, we never see it confirmed. So there's a lot of theories that, like, there's a second paradox Wolverine out there. Could that second paradox Wolverine have gone on to be infected by the Fairlings, gone on all sorts of different missions? It's always a possibility. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> is that likely? No. I think the most likely scenario is, based on what we saw in Inferno number three, the knowledge that Rasputin, or not Rasputin, uh, Omega Sentinel, has gone back in time from a timeline where mutants always win and has come back in time to start Orcus and prevent Krakoa from succeeding. You know, she's doing the reverse Moira. Okay, Moira sees mutants always lose and has tried all these plans because of that. Um, Omega Sentinel has seen mutants always win and is trying Orcus and Nimrod as a solution to that. Could Wolverine, this new Wolverine, have traveled back in time from that same Omega Sentinel timeline? You know, basically we have timeline one, timeline two. Well, this Wolverine maybe is from timeline one with Omega Sentinel and has come back in time. The reason this could potentially work is we see a lot with phalanxy techno-organic stuff in the brief glimpses we get in Inferno number three, right? We see um, uh, Omega Sentinel agrees with a trickster titan to do this. That's displayed very phalanxy. We see the X-Men going on Dominion hunts, right? So these, these societal, galactic society things that all sort of portray visually like the, the yellow and gold and bright orange on black phalanx circuitry, those entities are very much a presence and part of those timelines. Could that Wolverine have come back to, um, to stop Omega Sentinel, potentially, from destroying that timeline that exists? Okay, so I like that theory a lot because it ties so closely to Inferno. But, I mean, again, like, if we're going to play with Moira's Life 6, if we're going to play with Rasputin and Zorn potential, cool. Um, all that. And I, I love that I don't know, right? Like, I love that there's mystery to it. I love that there's something exciting and big and wild and happening in this event. Um, so now as lives goes back, I know I'm going to have deaths to look forward to. And then as all this stuff builds, um, and we'll see how Percy pulls it off. But like, I'm real curious how Wolverine going back to prevent Charlie from stuff happening to Charlie is going to intersect with the second Wolverine either on this mission, you know, he's on a mission to find Moira. That much is evident. Um, is is this second Wolverine, is Faye Logan going to kill Moira or protect her? 
uh, we don't know for sure. I'm leaning towards protect, frankly, because, um, like, I just think that's more interesting, honestly. Uh, killing Everyone's trying to kill Mora, even her own body. So to add another player trying to do that, like, is it's too much. It is too much. Um, so I actually prefer now Fey Logan stepping in and, like, stopping Mystique, right? And now we get a Wolverine versus Mystique thing, which is always fun. They have a good history of that. If you look at the Jason Aaron run, or there's, like, a really good James Tiny in the fourth written. It's, like, one of the only things he's written for Marvel um, in the Wolverine series that's all about Mystique and Destiny and, and, uh, and Wolverine. So, anyway, I hope that's what it is. I hope it's a Wolverine on a mission to protect Moira situation because, she, like, right now Moira needs health. Uh, help, rather. Health and help. Um, you know, one thing that I found a little strange, um, not strange necessarily, just, you know, kind of bouncing the plot around, thinking about, okay, why wouldn't Moira do X, Y, and Z? So, she's on the run, right? And Mystique and Destiny want to kill her. Doug doesn't want to kill her, but he doesn't want to, like, really protect her, right? He just gives her a chance. Couldn't Moira make a phone call to Professor X and Magneto, who are eventually resurrected? I mean, maybe, no, we know Professor X is resurrected at this point, because we see him with, with Logan, um, in the, in the psycho, uh, psycho history time travel thing, right? So, um, couldn't she call Professor X and Magneto and say, hey, here's the situation, uh, I'm alive, I know you don't have the same power and control you used to, but can you help? Uh, why, why isn't that a phone call? And I know she mistrusts them, with good reason, right? She, this opens with her being like, you know, they betrayed me, essentially, they turned on me. That's not totally true, right? Like, Magneto and Professor X played it badly. And they abuse their relationship with Moira, and she doesn't have good reason to trust them, but they don't want her dead. Um, like, that's not a thing they actually want. Although, I could see them getting convinced once they realize Moira's mutant ability is gone. Certainly Magneto. Um, but, like, I, I don't know why Professor... Like, everyone on the Quiet Council is doing their own thing. They're doing their own shady bit of business to protect their own interests, right? Sinister literally has his own clone farms on Krakoa, right? So, like, why couldn't Magneto and Professor X have, like, a hideaway with Moira? That seems very plausible to me. Um, it kind of just seems like Moira doesn't want to because she's been scorned, uh, but it does seem like her best bet, honestly. Or even a character like uh, Sean Cassidy, who she has a long romantic interest. Like, like Moira has allies, I guess is my point. How about her son, Proteus? Omega-level Proteus, you know, both Sean and Proteus probably don't even know she's alive, you know? So, like, there are phone calls she could be making here um, that don't seem to be a part of the story. Uh, so, I'm a little skeptical of that. That seems like something that should be on the table. But there's a lot happening, and it's moving fast, and she's very much on the run. Uh, also, shouts to Percy and, and the creative team here for taking Moira to see Dr. Jane Foster. Did not expect that. That was a big left-field Marvel Universe curve that I absolutely did not see coming. And I'm super glad that it happened, honestly. I'm super glad that it happened because uh, that was fun. <laughs> like, just uh, unexpected, oh, it's Jane Foster. And then that gives us the moment of Jane Foster, who has been Thor, who is now Valkyrie, showing up. And also, like I said in the Kraken Krakoa, like, super thematically connected because Jane Foster can literally see death. You know, like, she sees the Reaper. She sees who's about to get it. She's a part of that relationship. That's why there's a real cool Al Ewing written... Um, issue in, in the Valkyrie solo that he co-wrote with Jason Aaron uh, about Valkyrie, like, 
visiting the cosmic entity of death, right? And having a conversation about like the death of death in Immortal Hulk and books like, um, you know, House of X and Powers of Ten. So cool character to integrate into this. I don't know that we're going to see more Valkyrie. Um, if we do, great. If we don't, still works. Still works. Um, but yeah, I mean, all in all, X Death of Wolverine is like, it's a triumph. It's, it's exactly what I hoped could be happening in this event. Um, it's exactly what I hoped like Percy and team would be gunning for. So I, I'm still like, you know, not crazy hyped for X lives, but the fact that X deaths is here kind of alleviates those fears because it's, if this is the story that's going to be told, I'm super here for that. And then presumably the rest of it will integrate, you know, otherwise like, why are these series connected? So yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that it happened. I'm way more excited about what's happening in this event. Cause it, you know, 10 weeks of this, if I was not on the fence about it, right, I'm not going to talk about it for 10 weeks, right? How, how boring is it to hear somebody just be like, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> like, that's not fun. Um, but it, this, this was great. Okay. This was big. So yeah, let me know. Let me know here in the chat um, what you all thought of it, what you think is coming next. Uh, if you think I'm right about who this Logan is, if you think it's a different theory, uh, let's, let's hear it. Okay. Uh, I'm seeing an interesting question here. So this this could apply to a few strains of thought. But I, so this it, one of the big things in X Men number seven, which is written by Jerry Duggan. We got art by Pippa Larraz. Um, they're talking about Cyclops, okay? And Cyclops is killed in this issue. Um, I'm really not spoiling anything if you've been reading this because we kind of knew this was coming. It's kind of like. It starts us at a stage where, okay, Cyclops has to pretend to be this Captain Krakoa character, and now we've kind of been going back in time to explain what were the circumstances that led to that. But one of the th big things that happens upon Cyclops' death is Dr. Stasis, this nemesis character who is basically outing the Resurrection Protocols and also studying them, former Orcus, or maybe current Orcus, I don't know if they're still involved or not. Um, I think they're. Uh, Dr. Stasis is like, hey, I'll tell you where to find me. But you, I'm going to test if you can remember this when you get resurrected, right? So he's basically exploiting the resurrection memory gap, which is not a thing that he would definitely know or not know, right? Hence, hence it being a test. Um, and I'm seeing the comment here about the resurrection memory gap. So when mutants die, they back up to their most recent backup, right? So Professor X has all these cerebros. He makes these backups of characters. So if they die, um, you know, a few hours after a backup was made, they don't remember those hours in between backups, right? That that memory is lost. We see this with like Kate Pryde, for example, doesn't know that Sebastian Shaw killed her because she died and she didn't have a backup at that exact moment. Uh, I'm seeing the question here from Banksy says, doesn't the memory stuff not matter anymore with the Trial of Magneto's edition of that lame new place? Uh, this is actually an interesting question. So in Trial of Magneto, Scarlet Witch's gift to mutant kind um, is she establishes, it's got a fancy name, but it's basically like a new house for mutant resurrection. She's basically like, here's the essence of mutants who are not backed up via Cerebro. So what this allows is it allows uh, most like prominently James Proudstar, Thunderbird, who died in, you know, the like basically the first Claremont mission versus Count Nefaria way back when. The, the argument was made here, I guess, that, that there were no Cerebro backups at that time. Um, so this character was dead before Professor X had any backups. And, uh, and Scarlet Witch is like, well, here's this magical garden, like almost literally, where you can pull this information from. So to this question, if there's a magical garden of mutant backups, what are the, what are the like timestamps on memory within that? Okay. So that, that definitely seems like something that 
needs to be addressed in more detail um, or, or in any capacity, frankly. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I have no clue, right? I definitely do not have a good sense of, like, what the heck is the deal with this magic garden of memory, of mutant memory. Um, because, again, it's kind of just a thing that they had to roll out to have something punchy at the end of Trial of Magneto, um, you know, which was a bit of a bust. And, uh, and I don't know that it actually works. So good question. I do not know <laughs> the answer to how that would play out. But certainly the way X-Men is playing out, it, it is as if that is not an option, right? Because when Cyclops is brought back, he doesn't remember, right? So the same sort of rules apply of there being memory gaps. I, I would say as a fan, right, as a reader, I actually prefer that plot structure. One, because it's familiar. Um, but two, then there are... There are more narrative complications you can get out of a character being killed, right? So, I mean, the X-Men comics, like, the, the whole point of the Resurrection Protocols is to take out the tired repetition of character death um, in superhero comics, which is abused and way overdone, right? And it's, you know, X-Men comics chief among them. Um, but you at least leave in this memory gap thing, and then there's narrative, like, um, you know, complications, that come about from dying. It's not just like, oh, we'll just get resurrected and nothing happened. There's at least, like, potentially a loss of memory if something important happened in your final moments. So I do like it being there. Um, I, but, you know, again, that does raise the question, like, well, what the heck are they going to do with the Scarlet Witch Garden? Uh, how is that going to play into things? I mean, that is totally unclear to me right now. Maybe maybe the way you do it is that is, a, that is there for mutants that were pre-cerebro like just purely like if they died pre-cerebro here's a backup up to the point of cerebro of their life so now all mutants who were pre-cerebro can be resurrected but even that it's like there are so many questions that come out of that because it's like well is that literally all mutants throughout the history of the world because mutant kind does not start with the atomic bomb right that just accelerates things um so it's like mutant kind is around back with Celine in, you know, the medieval ages or whatever. You got Apocalypse is one of the earliest mutants. You got the um, externals. Uh, so you get, you have mutants that exist prior to that point. Can all of them be resurrected with this magic garden? There are more questions than answers, um, which is why one of the arguments you would not introduce something so massive <laughs> in a series when you have no time to explain it. Um, so that's got to come up later. We'll see, we'll see exactly what that looks like. Um, and, and again, too, it's like, what is the, you know, they got resurrection protocols, they got a list, and they got an order of operations. W what is it for this garden thing? I, I don't know. Does anyone know? I have no idea. Um, it's definitely confusing and, and leads to more questions than answers, I think, at this point. So, okay. Good, good thoughts, good question, but uh, still TBD on what the heck we're going to get out of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, so otherwise, the comics today, uh, X-Men number seven, I've been really into this Captain Krakoa arc, more so than I thought I'd be. You know, I've been fairly critical of the Doug and X-Men launch, um, of the Doug and X-Men run since launch. I mean, I, I've kind of been saying, like, these comics are the best-looking comics because you got Pepe La Raza and Murda Gracia when they're on the book. Um, and that continues to be true with issues six and seven. I mean, just, like, there's a scene today of Cyclops just unleashing on these hybrid animals, and it's just, like, it's, like, the coolest Cyclops page ever. Like, if you're a Cyclops fan, this issue is just, like, mind-blowing. It's so good. Pepe La Raza and Murda Gracia, they're absolutely killing it. Um, Doug and I think, has really coalesced some ideas nicely into a very, very satisfying run so far. Um, this this book is pretty good. I mean, I think one of the reasons I was maybe more critical of it early is it launched at a time when, like, the this it was the flagship X-Men book, right? And that was never really the 
reasonable expectation of like, oh, Duggan's taking over, but it kind of had that feel, and there was that gap at the end of the Reign of X where it's like, well, we actually do need a book to do something big and interesting here because not much is doing it right now. Um, and now that this book is clearly not going to be that, uh, but it's going to fit into a Destiny of X where we have X Deaths of Wolverine doing some big picture stuff. We have um, Kieran Gillen writing Immortal X Men. There's just a, and we have Al Ewing doing X Men Red stuff. Like, there's clearly a lot more. Um, wiggle room, I think, for X-Men to do this specific superhero team, very Cyclops-centric uh, version where it can lean into, like, hey, Cyclops is cool. Hey, Sync is cool. Hey, Sunfire can be cool, right? And just doing fun stuff with these characters. Um, and it does that very, very well. And, and I think, too, it's also, like, again, like, that thing of being era-specific, it is increasingly doing that very well. Dr. Stasis is a semi-era-specific type of character purely because of the connections to Orcus. I mean, Dr. Stasis feels like, you know, in, in uh, a high evolutionary in this issue, right? For, for a minute, I thought it was going to be high evolutionary. Who has showed up in issue number three? But that's probably not an accident, I'm guessing, right? Where we have these mad scientist-type folks. Modoc's going to be in the next issue. Maybe they all come together, right? Maybe we're building to, you know, some sort of, um, um, you know, Masters of Evil-type uh, combining brotherhood of of you know anti-mutant scientists or whatever there could be something cool that comes out of that for sure um so i i think the way this series has played out to this point like i'm more excited about issues of x-men with each new one that comes out i think at this point um which is great which is great so doug and laraz are doing a nice job on this um i think again this was an excellent cyclops issue uh, it was an excellent excellent pepe laraz murder gracia issue and, uh, and the Captain Krakoa stuff is, like, goofy, but it's also kind of great because Scott hates it. He's not, like, he's not into this goofy Captain Krakoa costume. He just has to do it to sort of hide the mutant secret of resurrection, which, again, I've called Krakoa out on a number of times for, like, they're not that good at hiding this. Like, they're really not very good at hiding this. Jumbo Carnation died very publicly. He's been seen. Um, when they had the Avengers visit Krakoa in Trial of Magneto, they were just, like, walking around you know, the, the, the pods where people are born, like they're not nearly as, as tight about the secret as they probably should be given that apparently they're still trying to keep it. So yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been steadily increasingly impressed. And again, I think the big thing for X-Men is it's not going to be the flagship book, but in a world where it doesn't need to be, it can be pretty good. Uh, and, and I think that is, that's good, right? The, the X-Men line does not all need to be leaders, I do think there do need to be lead books, you know, in the way that Hickman's X-Men, for all of its flaws, and and for all of the sort of debate around, was it a good approach, and did it really deliver, um, which I think in many ways it did not, in some ways it did, uh, there needs to be, I think, that book that feels like, oh, well, this is the centerpiece, and I think that's what Kieran Gillen's Immortal X-Men is going to be and going to need to be, right? And I think in Gillen, you have a creator who has put in those reps, um, who has done the work in such a way that definitely capable, definitely capable of pulling that off. So I'm excited about where, where Destiny X is moving because I think it's got, it's got that potential, you know, um, it, it's got the potential to actually have like a really solid feeling line. I mean, if you have in the Destiny of X, you're going to have Mortal X-Men, I have high confidence on, you're going to have X-Men Red, I have super high confidence on, it's basically Sword 2.0 without Ewing. Um, and then you're going to have X-Men be this good. You know, like if X-Men's the number three, that's great, right? It's, you know, it's, it's that thing of like, okay, we've got, we've got DeMar DeRozan, we've got 
uh, Zach Levine. Um, let's bring in Lonzo Ball. And I know that's not the order of operations here with my Chicago Bulls, but it's like X-Men is a good Lonzo Ball, right? It, or or it, Alex Cruz is not quite right. Uh, but it's a good Lonzo Ball, right? It's a good tertiary supporting piece on a championship contender. And I love that. I love that, right? That That's going to be great. And then you got the rest of the lineup, which you don't have in front of me, but you got like Spark of X. Okay, that can be interesting. Cy Spurrier's got... Um, a great track record. Let's see what he can do now with more leading stuff, with more Nightcrawler stuff. Maybe course correct a lot of the issues that the end of Way of X had. I think um, you got Knights of X, which is finally taking Excalibur to just be an other world, which is what this book has been building to and probably should have been for a good long time. I think that makes sense. Um, what else do we have? We got New Mutants. Oh, New Mutants, probably number three. I always forget. I don't know why I forget about New Mutants because it's been just steadily very, very good with Vidal and Rod Reyes. Um, that's probably our number three, I would say, uh, in, in the lineup right now. Then you get X-Men at number four. That's a great number four piece. Okay. That's a great number four piece in a lineup. And so this is actually something I was thinking about today. And I, I reminded myself on, you're not getting DeRozan back on the Raptors. I'm seeing here in the chat. I just got to throw that out right now. Bulls, Bulls fans are not letting DeMar go. King of the fourth. Uh, we love him. He's been great. Although our team is, we need, we need some, uh, we need some of this Wolverine, x Death Wolverine, uh, blood. Because our, our healing factor is not working at the moment. Um, so, all right. <laughs> we can talk about basketball towards the end. One thing I was thinking this morning, going into Death's Wolverine, I was thinking, okay, even if this is bad, I have to remind myself, there's kind of like, there's kind of two avenues, to there's two perspectives maybe, to look at this era of X-Men. One was, this could be an all-time great moment in comics. Okay? That was where we were with Hickman, leading the charge post house and powers it was like oh wow this line this potential could be an all-time great sort of moment in i i hesitate to even just say superhero comics for because for me it would just be comics because i'm a big superhero fan but in superhero comics right realistically it was like this could be a moment where we look back and we're like you have to read this era of x-men comics starting with 2019 through 2022, it's some of the best superhero stuff I've ever read, right? The way that I point readers to, like, the Jonathan Hickman speared, you know, Marvelverse from 2008 to 2016, you know? I love that moment. I love those intersecting threads. There's so much good stuff in there. Instead, what we got is not that level of hype. It's not that good. I know there's some fans who might feel that way. That's fine, but it's not. What we got instead was one of the best eras of just X-Men comics that has ever happened in Marvel history, okay? And there's going to be a good case to be made that if you like X-Men comics, right? Before it was like, if you like comics. Now it's like, if you like X-Men comics, you're going to have to check out this era. It's super, super critical, and it's very, very good. And this can be debated, I'm sure, and nostalgia plays a huge role here as well, but it's like, in the modern era, certainly, of Marvel Comics, when they're pumping out this number of titles, you know, and trying to keep them as part of a cohesive line, there's nothing quite like this. And there's definitely nothing that I've been as invested in, certainly, right? Uh, but, like, probably have enjoyed as much either, you know? Throw it back to early 2000s, mid-2000s. There's, there's a lot of mess. There's a lot of stuff you don't want to be reading. Um, bring it to Messiah Complex. Things start getting integrated a bit more effectively. Um, but again, I would say then, like, the highs are not as high during Messiah Complex. The lows are lower, too. You know, this era's good. 
It's real good, okay? If you've been if you've been reading X-Men comics for a while, and obviously people who stuck through Bloom Gold know this, you, you know what was lost and what was recovered here. Um, this is a possibly, possibly, it's in the conversation at least, for all-time best era of X-Men, okay? On, like, on a volume basis, it, the hardest comparison, obviously, is like the Claremont era, right? But the Claremont era has different stages and has different phases, and it's not until, like... Uh, re, like it's not until post Dark Phoenix, it's not until uh, John Byrne's gone that the Claremont era expands the line at all. You know, so there's only one X Men book then, which in a lot of ways is great, right? That's that's actually more appealing. But just given the the realistic like nature of where comics are now, yeah, there's going to be like ten to fifteen X Men books all the time. So you have to look at like okay, given that volume, given that amount of story, how does it compare to that previous era? It is. It's like it's like comparing you know um, Zach Levine to Larry Bird, right? Clearly, Levine's better, <laughs> right? Like, it's like comparing a modern athlete to, you know, the athletes who are outside smoking in the locker room, whatever, right? Different eras, okay? But if you're doing that, it's a conversation, at least. And that is that is me attempting to celebrate, attempting to celebrate what has happened here. It's already a success. It is. Um, it's just not the all-time great, this could be a moment in comics success that I hoped it might be. You know, and I think that is that's a lot of what is being expressed when people talk about these fears and and complaints and concerns in the post-Hickman era and the fact that, you know, this creator who has such a resume left the title before before the job was done. Um, but it's still it's still very good stuff and it's still gonna continue to have very good moments. Again, though, it's like it just might not transcend X-Men comics. I think that's kind of where we're at. Um, there is a question here. That is very important. What would you say is the era of X-Men that would be the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s? Uh, so, I mean, for that, you got to go. You know, I really like Dave Cockrum. I do. I like Dave Cockrum a lot, right? Best best Nightcrawl artist in the game. Um, and I don't really like John Byrne a whole lot, okay? Um, doesn't doesn't seem great. So I'm, I'm hesitant to toot his horn too loudly. And this is an obvious pick, but you got to go Claremont and Byrne, right? Uh, it, it, if I can extend it, we're going to go Cockrum, Byrne, Paul Smith, right? That wave of basically Claremont starting the X-Men in 1976. I mean, really, you know, let's give Len Wein, Dave Cockrum credit, right, with Giant Size X-Men. Um, but then Claremont taking over the run then through the Byrne era with the Phoenix Saga, with Dark Phoenix Saga, with Days of Future Past. Then you get into the Paul Smith comics, which are some of the coolest and best-looking X-Men comics. You get the Return of Cockrum in there. That stretch is is the 90s Bulls dynasty, I would say. Um, and then um, and then you start to get sort of a different flavor with, with the John Romita Jr. and, and Anacenti coming in and Louis Simonson coming in, right, and these different players. Um, and those are really good in their own right, right? You get some really good stuff in there, but definitely it gets probably a little more muddled. Um, so if you, if you, if you wanted to make the whole Claremont era, the, the, the Bulls dynasty, um, then it would be like, probably like the first three championships or what I just described. And then probably like post Paul Smith is like, what's Jordan's retirement then? That's, that's tricky. I got to think about that one. <laughs> Cause I don't know. I don't know that I have that shade to fire in the chamber at a particular artist or creator. You know, actually the, the Jordan retirement is the first um, is the editorial mandate that Jean Grey must be brought back, doing it in the pages of Fantastic Four and Avengers with Byrne, but not with Claremont because he didn't want to be a part of it. And then, like, the first nine issues of X-Factor, um, 
before Louis Simonson takes over. That's the Jordan retirement, and then everything after is the next three titles. Uh, and yeah, Chris Claremont is is obviously the. If he's not the Jordan, he's clearly the Phil Jackson, right? It's a little tricky, um, it, but he's he's got to be. I don't know. That's a tricky one. That's yeah. I mean, he's got to be the Jordan, right? Because it's the only, it's the only consistent piece up to that point. He's not the Jordan of comics, but of X Men, yeah. I mean, that's so much is built there. Um, <laughs> who's Pippin? Who's Steve Kerr? Uh, so many questions. So many questions. I could go forever on '90s Bulls. So we probably need to talk about like two other things. <laughs> before we do that. There's a good question here, which is, are you rooting for Moira? Are you rooting for Moira? Let's hear it in the chat. Who who among us is rooting for Moira McTaggart? All right. I am rooting for Moira, actually. Um, she, she definitely became a character that felt like we could not be pulling for her. You know, by the end of Inferno, it was like, one, her plan is to cure mutant kind. Like, she had reverted to that as the one thing she hadn't tried, which is a pretty big no-no <laughs> in X-Men books, right? Like, you don't actually take away the thing that makes them different and special. Like, that's that's generally frowned upon. And that is Moira's actual plan. So am I rooting for her to cure mutant kind? No. Am I rooting for her to escape and reevaluate her options and consider what her lifelines have taught her, and to, as Destiny put it so famously back in House of X, make the right choice to get to an 11th life? Yes, because I think that leads to the best stories, you know? So, like, I'm not... And here's the thing, is, like, nothing in... there Because there's been so little Moira until Inferno brings her back and properly vilifies her, there's no real reason to get invested in this character. We don't know her as a person. We don't really know what she's thinking. Um, we just get her in these emotional states of frustration, of, of being fed up with those around her. We, we have never seen her actually in action as the planner, as this individual with thousands of years of experience. I want to see that character in action. So in that regard, I'm rooting for her because I want to see more of this character, right? Like if she gets caught by the CIA and put in a prison cell, we don't really get to see what it is she wants to do or what it is she's going to try to do now that, you know, like she, she doesn't have a heck of a lot of a, a chance here, you know, now that everything's against her, what is this character going to do? I think that leads to a lot of potentially interesting story. I'm not rooting for her to succeed per se, but I'm rooting for her to reevaluate and, and figure out like, what is, what is the role here that she can play? Because obviously she has to be a critical player, you know, like, and that's the thing is like, you know why Mystique can't succeed? You know? Well, I guess she could. But, like, you can't actually kill Moira and take her off the board. Because that would just, like, it would just deflate this line so heartily. I mean, I would say Moira is the single least killable m mutant in the entire X-Men line. You could kill, you could take Professor X off the board for a while. You could take Magneto off the board for a while. Heaven forbid. You can take Mr. Sinister off the board. You can try. He's got a million clones. Um, you can't take Mara off the board. Because what that would do is that would be a declaration that, like, hey, you know all that set up with the 11th life and uh, and her being this driving force, the Krakoa era? Forget it. We're on to something else. Like, that is the end of this era, if that happens. The exception being, the exception being, if Mara is killed, 
and there's a potential out later with her being resurrected as a mutant, right? Which I, I feel like is in play, especially with the Magic Garden we talked about earlier, <laughs> right? Magic Garden really, uh, really throwing a wrench into things. Um, seeing here in the chat, I'm reading the Claremont run for the first time. Thanks for the reading order. No problem. If you want to see that, just Google uh, Claremont X-Men reading order. Go over to comicbookherald.com. You can find a full 80s Claremont era um, reading order all the way through the early 90s. Then you can go on into the 90s with the CBH reading order. I've got you covered. If you don't know what X-Men comics to read, check out my site, comicbookherald.com. It will tell you where to go. So, all right, the other comics that we saw today... Um, I mentioned X-Men number 7, I mentioned Marauder's Annual. Uh, again, I haven't read it. What I did skim through and, and pay attention to was, apparently, it looks like the black box that Emma bought from that, um, I don't know, nameless tribe, was uh, was made of Mysterium, which I'm questioning how that's possible, because Mysterium is an element that um, seemingly sword like, discovered from, like, the, the white hot room of the cosmos. So how the heck that got to Earth in the first place, that's interesting. Um, but apparently caught a, cost a boatload. And inside of it, oh, I guess actually this answers the question, right? Is inside of it, there's a map drawn and, and with writing on it from Cape Pride. So there's like, and she doesn't remember doing this. She doesn't, she's like, this is a present to myself, whatever kind of thing. Implications of time travel, implications of, of alternate reality traveling kind of stuff. That's got my attention. That's definitely got my attention. Like how, when and how... Did Kate put this message in a mysterious black box that Emma was going to buy and get to her, right? That's an interesting premise. For this Marauders run, uh, the Steve Orlando run, you know, he's, he's a writer that I definitely trust and looking forward to. Um, it, it seems to definitely be leaning more into the actual swashbuckling pirate vibes that were suggested and then quickly abandoned <laughs> in Marauders and the Duggan run, um, which I think will be probably pretty appealing to most, to most readers. You know, Marauders really got bogged down in its own business. Um, I don't even know in what, I don't even know what you would call the back half of Marauders. Like what even is that book about? <laughs> Cause right initially it's like, it's the swashbuckling pirate stuff. It's them protecting mutants in other regions that, that can't do it themselves. And it's hellfire, um, it, it's hellfire politicking, you know, but the back half, like what even is it? I don't know. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited about the new direction for Marauders. And then we have Black Panther number three. Black Panther number three came out. It's the third, issue in the John Ridley, Juan Caval, Federico Blee run, which follows the really excellent Tommy Heasy Coast run. Um, and it was uh, fairly relevant for X-Men fans. I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing a comp here. Cape Pride's journey to find the One Piece has begun. Good comparison. Good comparison. Like, honestly, Marauders as One Piece, yes. Like, just do it. That sounds fine. You know, and that's the thing, too, where, like, not every book has to be this special, big picture, momentum-pushing thing. Hellions wasn't that. I love Hellions, you know? It just has to be era-specific and has to have the elements of mystery and big idea to play with. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. Um, all right, so what was the other thing? Oh, Black Panther number three. Uh, T'Challa is no longer king of Wakanda, okay, at the end of the Coats run. Um, they're trying a democracy. They're trying this thing called democracy. Um, which actually leads to some very interesting conversation and philosophizing about monarchy versus democracy. Obviously, Coates played with that a lot. Uh, but right now, the reveal in issue number one is T'Challa has a bunch of sleeper agents around the global kind of sleeper agents. You know, he's, it's that sort of Batman-esque paranoia, but also just sort of potentially pragmatic, you know, ways to secure yourself. And, uh, and T'Challa, people, are people figure this out and they're trying to kill these um, sleepers. T'Challa is now trying to alert them and rescue them in issue number three to get a break 
from this, to escape for a moment, catch their breath, the child goes to Mars, like you do. And he's going to visit with uh, his, his former wife, current beloved, it seems, um, uh, Storm, who is, of course, the regent of Mars and voice of the solar system, which is such a cool, cool title. Uh, so T'Challa and Storm get a moment to catch up. They, are, they continue to be, with, at least within the pages of Black Panther, on very good terms. Um, they continue to be very friendly. Obviously, this is an important key alliance, I think, for Krakoa. As people continue to desire or, or question, like, oh, Avengers vs. X-Men, when could that happen? Um, with T'Challa as a key component of Avengers and leading them, you know, a lot of the time, although in Black Panther it seems like maybe he's taking a break from that, um, their relationship with Storm and Storm's position in the solar system, like, Listen, could that dynamic fray? Yes, that happens conveniently all the time. But I think if it's written well, it doesn't because these characters are are pretty deeply in love and have been for a long time, even if the marriage, you know, didn't work the way they thought it might. Um, but within that, you also have Gentle here, uh, a character who was in the X-Men election, was my pick for the individual who should be voted on as the next member of the X-Men. Um, Gentle on Mars, when he sees T'Challa, he loses it. He <laughs> starts beating him up, declares he hates all Wakanda, and has decent reason to. Um, he was bullied on, on Wakanda. Was I, I, We talked about this in the election, but Gentle is um, half Wakandan and half Russian, as it turns out. And because he was not um, fully Wakandan, this character was, was bullied and ostracized. And, and again, has reason to be mad at the society. Um, but he takes this all out at T'Challa. And then at the end of the issue, or by the end of the issue, it's revealed that Gentle was really playing a part in a lot of ways because he too is one of T'Challa's sleeper agents. Now this is interesting because T'Challa has a sleeper agent mutant on Krakoa, on Arako, right? And we don't know what level of information is being communicated and displayed. Again, Gentle's allegiances is something that could be getting, you know, you could get into in more detail. This is why you need Gentle on the X-Men team. This is why he should have won the election. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of good story potential there. So yeah, I mean, it was it was decent um, and, and just good, good character interaction stuff with the and with Wakanda um, and kind of what that alliance is. I mean, I think one thing to consider is if something happened to T'Challa, I have no idea what the status between Krakoa and Wakanda would be. Right? Like it seems to be very singularly tied to this individual and their relationship to Storm. Um, if something happens to T'Challa, he's taken out of the picture. Again, he's no longer the king, so he doesn't make the decisions himself. Uh, does that mean Wakanda can become more adversarial towards Krakoa? Again, they don't need Krakoan drugs, so they're not reliant. Uh, yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. So, all right. Last call for questions here. Get them in now. I think we talked about every comic here, at least. Um, so, last call. Get them in, and I will address whatever I see that is interesting. I still don't get why in the world Wakandans would try democracy. Uh, it is it is debatable. <laughs> it is up for debate. Um, but you really got to read the Coats Run. The, the whole shebang to get to that solution, I think. I'm also seeing, no, no, please, on X-Men vs. Avengers. Yeah, I mean, hard agree. Um, it's not a story we need. I don't think it's going to happen in, in Avengers vs. X-Men 2 kind of way, at least until Marvel gets, like, really desperate. And I, I think you will, the desperation will reek. <laughs> when they finally get to it. Um, I mean, Karen Gillen's doing some form of this with his Eternals run and kind of an Eternals First Avengers thing. I was happy to see that direction 
instead of an Avengers X-Men thing, uh, just because that is not that interesting a story at this point in time. Um, how many Wolverines are we actually talking about here? I think 10. <laughs> I think just 10. Um, so probably the most confused, if you're into the Wolverine labeling, right, and each, each issue is beginning with the Wolverine Roman numeraling. Um, so David Bowen, fantastic writer over at comicbookherald.com, put together the best, most comprehensive piece I've seen absolutely anywhere on just X Lives Wolverine number one. Go to comicbookherald.com, find that article. Um, it is remarkably researched and well done. But within that article, he puts together, okay, here are the 10 arrows of Logan that each Roman numeral probably refers to. Um, and he does a great job, and there's, it, but it's it's hard to do. That's hard work to figure out, like, okay, where in chronology, you know, when is the Weapon X Logan, and when is, you know, uh, in the cabin with Silver Fox Logan, and these sorts of things, right? Um, but the question now is, okay, I had thought Logan 10 was just, like, present-day Krakoa Logan, yeah? Um, but now that we have this Fey Logan, Phalanx Logan, what number is this Logan assigned? Does he fit into the, the Roman numeral scheme? Is he outside of that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, like, if that is Logan 10, uh, then then that causes some issues with the rest of them. Percy referred to him, I think, in a tweet as Omega, Wolver um, Omega Wolverine. So I, I'm kind of guessing that he's just, like, outside of the Roman numeralizing of, of Wolverine. Um, do 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 what was that Instagram post you made with Age of Ultron Wolverine, Dave? Uh, for that, Marcos, you're going to have to watch the Crack in Krakoa. I did. I talk about that in the Crack in Krakoa video. I think I even talked about it a little bit off top here on the live stream. Um, so here's the thing. Excess Wolverine, not that directly tied to Age of Ultron, uh, but it does, it got my mind moving in terms of like, okay, where are mysterious Wolverines potentially popping up from? In one place is the Age of Ultron time-traveling Wolverine Paradox, okay? Which is the fastest way I can describe that absolute continuity quagmire. Um, all right. All right. I think we're going to call it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining today. I definitely very much appreciate it. Um, you know, I'll try to be back next week. We'll see. We'll see how X-Lives of Wolverine number two plays into the picture, uh, what that comic looks like. And again, like, good week to be an X-Fan, good week to be a Marvel fan. Um, so, you know, I'll be here every Wednesday uh, when the comics are exciting. So thanks, everybody, for joining live. Uh, please like, subscribe, comment, comic book Herald, and all that stuff uh, helps me out. And in the meantime, enjoy the comics.